So I was very late to playing the Pokemon games. In fact, I didn't actually play them till a few years ago. And I've never, and this is a confession, and I'm probably going to go to jail for saying this, but I never played them on Game Boy. I actually played it on my iPhone. <gasps> I know, Criminal. I know. Criminal. <laughs> Criminal and embarrassing. And the way that I had to do it, because I didn't have a jailbroken iPhone, there was an app, and this is real, there's an app called Awesome Baby Names. It was in the App Store for maybe a week. And in that time, someone had discovered that if you tap the first baby name three times, tap the generator once, and then tap the middle of the screen, it was actually a Super Nintendo Game Boy emulator. And as long as you just kind of loaded, like, different, quote, baby name files into the app itself using iTunes, you could play whatever game you wanted. What? So you had to catch them all? I caught them all. Baby style. Baby style. It was fun because, you know, if you get a chance to name things, I, I can just go, you know, back out of the app and find out what's a good name for it. <laughs> that's, that. I mean, that's really why they did it. You know, the convenience. I was so upset because obviously Apple found out and pulled that app really quickly. And so I just like basically had to like not sync my phone for fear of losing this app somehow for about a year and a half. And is that how long it took you to beat Pokemon? It was. I caught most of them. And then unfortunately, I lost that save file. Yeah, I mean, sure, you lost the app, I assume. Yeah, I lost it all. But, you know, it was fun while it lasted. <laughs> you caught them all and you lost them all. It's nice. Hello, and welcome to What's Tech, a podcast from TheVerge.com. I am your humble host, Christopher Thomas Plant. Today, I'm joined by my friend, my colleague, Ross Miller. How are you doing? Doing well. Hello. So glad to be here. So wonderful. So excited. It's such the morning. I am so tired. (laughs) If, If you hear a sniffle or a cough from either of us, don't worry. We are okay. We appreciate your concern. Everything is fine. Ross, what is video game emulation? Uh, Okay, so in the broadest sense, emulation in general is hardware or software that lets one computer act like another. It's essentially impersonating some other piece of computer. Now, specific to video games, it's typically some kind of software that lets your computer or another device act like a certain game console and play that system's games. Uh, which are, th- in this case, typically just files known as ROMs, or read-only memory. So how is this different than just buying a video game console? Well, in the crassest sense, it's usually cheaper. Uh, you don't usually buy an emulator, you download one. Uh, and of course, some game consoles actually have built-in emulators, and we'll kind of get to that maybe a little bit, but th- basically, if you're thinking of an emulator, you are downloading a piece of software, hoping to play games with it, and... If you get the console, you've got a large, chunking piece of physical mass. You probably spend a little more money on that, and that money probably went to the right people. Well, okay, so let's let's dig into that one. Is video game emulation legal? Okay, and this 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 gets a little tricky. So there there are two (laughs) there are two parts of this. And before I go on, I just want the record to show that I am not a lawyer. And if you get caught doing something stupid and try to cite me as some justification in a court system. Don't. Don't at all. Um, (laughs) So looking back at court cases, because this has come up uh, many times, especially in the mid-90s, the emulator itself, the software that tries to pretend to be the game console, that is not illegal. Uh, There are a number of court cases that kind of went through and said this emulation is okay. But an emulator is only as good as the games. And the games themselves, the ROM files, uh, those are completely illegal, at least in the U.S., in the Basic justification is you are obtaining a game through unauthorized methods. This is a copyright violation. So that's kind of the legal area. And as we're talking about the intro, there is 
gray area into that where like Apple, for example, it won't let you put an emulator in the App Store because it does encourage, you know, stealing ROMs and copyright infringement. Uh, it's kind of like, and you're probably going to cut this example, but I can't think of a better one right now. <laughs> it's like you can own a bong, but if you have weed, that's illegal in a few states. Got it. Got it. No, that makes sense. We'll yeah. keep that. Okay. And further incriminate you. Got um, it. <laughs> what? Let's say that you already own a video game. I, again, this is not actual legal justification. This still does not make it okay for you to uh, have a ROM of a video game. Uh, and to be clear, again, ROMs are, are the files that you play on the video game emulator. Anyway, let's say you have, you own a video game in real life, you have a ROM of it, you are still in a pretty gray legal area, but you're like, I've got this ROM, I feel comfortable with this, I'm going to run it on a video game emulator. What would be some of the benefits to playing your game through a video game emulator? Well, some of them, and again, if you want to hear more about why that is also still legal, Nintendo has a very stern, very amusing corporate page that is very long and basically says everything you want to do in terms of emulating is bad and they will come and hunt you down. We are done with caveats, I promise. Uh, The benefits of video game emulation. Uh, I think one of the big ones for me personally was always portability. Um, I cannot haul my Nintendo or Super Nintendo anywhere. Not to mention, they're kind of broken. So if I wanted to play those games later, I, I can't. Like, this is a way of transferring some of the classic games that maybe didn't make it to the modern systems and playing them that way. So it's portability. It's much easier to use. Um, and my favorite aspect of it is sometimes you get people kind of remixing games and putting them in a new light. I think one of the best moments I had in VR, actually, was running a GameCube emulator uh, I'm playing Super Smash Brothers, where the whole stage itself was kind of this immersive three, like VR world, and I was just had the Oculus on. That's something that you can't do if you're trying to run the game as intended. So I, I was seeing uh, a, a GameCube emulator. I can't remember its name, but uh, it, it, running on a, a high-end PC, and it had the ability to basically improve the graphics, like it was adding all this post-processing that you would see in a, mm-hmm. in a PC game on top of a GameCube, or I think maybe even a normal Wii game too. But I say that, but then there are other old consoles that don't run full, like well on, on PC, or don't run at all. The Sega Saturn is notoriously difficult to run, and like, say right now, PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, previous generation of consoles. Why, why isn't it that these systems that were on less powerful hardware compared to our current PCs, why don't they run on PCs right now? All right, so this is this is a, a slightly more technical answer, but again, I'm not an engineer, I'm not a lawyer. There's a lot of things <laughs> I'm just not going to be on this podcast. Uh, but t- to get a pseudo kind of technical, um, if you're looking at the history of PCs, you know, for a very long time we've been using x86 processors, and the hardware itself, the architecture, has largely been the same even as it's gotten better. Game consoles, on the other hand, have tried much more unique things. Their central processors, their power, all that, um, is different kind of architectures. Um, now, to go back to what an emulator is, again, emulator is just basically software that's impersonating hardware. You are basically recreating physical hardware in code on top of another layer of hardware. And into doing that, like it's just a lot of power and even then, it's not always precise. That's why you have some kind of these compatibility issues. So for something like Nintendo, for example, 
you know, it is maybe a more unique processor to what we use today, but it's simple enough and we have enough raw power that at some point we can just throw things out there and it kind of works. One of my favorite examples is actually a legit legal one for once, uh, was the first generation PlayStation 3, the big fatty, which by the way, I still own and love and covet. It's at my desk right now. Did you have, did you have the original PlayStation 3 or did you wait? Yeah, of course. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm a cool kid. You're a cool kid. Now, the thing that was interesting about that was the PlayStation 3 was backwards compatible, which means it could run the original PlayStation 1 games and the original PS2 games. The PS1 games was done full software emulation. Very similar to what you would do for a PC if you had one of those PS simulators there. The PlayStation 2 compatibility, though, well, frankly, the PS2 had a more complex processor. It was a unique thing called the Emotion Engine. And that wasn't something that was like, at that generation, the PS3 was powerful, but not powerful enough to emulate that in some kind of perfect way. So to solve for that, Sony literally put the same PS2 processors, the same hardware, most of it, inside the PlayStation 3. It's another reason why I was kind of a fat you know, console. And that's that's kind of just how they pulled that off. Later models, you know, got thinner. They kind of started taking away some of those processors for cost-cutting measures. Also, it turns out people don't necessarily play a lot of their last games. Some of that functionality moved back to software, and some just didn't ever work again. That's why you have these, like, lists of, like, games that are compatible, games that we kind of figured out how to work here, and games that, well, they're kind of lost to time. Oh, this is... It's, it's so complicated for a thing that seems like it should be easy i what i'm reminded of uh, and caveat again probably not true just a thing i heard but i'm entertained by it anyway <laughs> but i i've i've heard a couple times this i guess we'll say rumor that the reason the sega saturn was so difficult to emulate was that to basically get more power out of everything inside of the system, games started using the sound card back when things had sound cards what? to power certain parts of the visuals in the system. So it became very difficult to emulate because you essentially were emulating a sound card and having it do things that it wasn't supposed to do to begin with. Again, maybe that's just like a like folksy tale that you know video game nerds tell each other uh, over the campfire. But I, I've I've never like gotten that out of my head. I mean, I I choose to believe it. One, number two, I have heard from other sources that the Saturn emulators out there are getting pretty good. Yeah. Oh yeah. man, this might be my time to go back and relive the worst year of my life. You should really <laughs> check out classic, you know, medieval, you know, beat-em-up Dragon Force. Oh, man, yes. I'm going to rush it. and play, like, the slightly better version of Tomb Raider. Um, <laughs> I'm not bitter at all that video game magazines of the time convinced me to buy a, uh, a Sega Saturn instead of a Sony PlayStation. Nope, doesn't bother me. Not one bit. One bit. How have video game publishers reacted to emulation in the past? Uh, well, and it, you know, we kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, but, like, especially in the mid-'90s when the stuff was started kind of coming out once computers became more ubiquitous and powerful enough to kind of make these emulators. Lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit. Uh, Nintendo has filed suit uh, against a lot of people. Even the people who made Game Genie because they were tweaking the ROM. They lost that one, but that's another story. Uh, Sega has sued people. Sony has sued people. Like, the idea that there's this way that you can not completely wholesale rip a physical piece of hardware, but recreate it enough that it kind of takes them in the system and enables people to kind of just pirate software. You don't have to buy a disc or a physical cartridge. In a lot of their minds, especially Nintendo's mind, even to this day, 
anything that promotes piracy, there's literally no benefit to it. So legal action is the safest thing for them to kind of like basically hold on to their property. Now, there are certain companies that in over the years have gotten a little more relaxed with the idea of emulation and found ways to kind of use it to their own you know, advantage. But at the end of the day, anything that like actually create like lets you create a software file that is not protected, that can be freely distributed, uh, and basically not pay the owner causes most of the companies to freak out. I guess let, let's try to find the positive spin <laughs> on this. Yeah. Uh, how developers cooperated or, I guess, benefited from emulation. You mentioned Sony, um, but are, are there other examples? Yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot of emulators out there that have, over time, been embraced by various companies. The original Sonic iPhone game that came out in 2009 was actually just an emulator uh, with the Sonic ROM file in it. In fact, if you had a jailbroken iPhone, you could swap that ROM out and just play other Genesis games. Uh, they fixed that in about 2013 using the Retro Engine, which was, I think itself was also an emulator. Might have been one made by an outside party. I don't know. That's just something I kind of vaguely remember. Again, not a historian, not an engineer, not a lawyer. <laughs> barely a sentient human being sometimes. <laughs> this episode of What is Caveat? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, in Xbox, right? Oh, in Xbox. Yeah, no, Xbox One. This was the, the big surprise announcement of last year was that certain Xbox 360 games were going to be compatible with the Xbox One. Now, and this kind of gets back to the point where, like, it's not a perfect process. Uh, the Xbox One is probably closer to a PC than anything else. The Xbox 360 was not quite. But so Xbox, many Xbox 360 games now work on Xbox One. And one of the reasons they're slowly rolling it out is because they kind of got to quality assure these games. They got to say, well did we really impersonate the processor right? Or is this game glitching halfway through? Uh, and that's, you know, that's kind of the slow process. It's a weirdly imprecise science. The only way to kind of actually do it perfectly would be to take the Xbox 360 hardware and then throw it in the Xbox One console or just buy a 360. But in so doing, and this is kind of one of those things that does what it can to preserve old games, there is a noble cause, and many cultures realize that there's a noble cause in kind of preserving this idea and you know as much as i rail on nintendo you know they did eventually find a way to embrace emulators with the big system their virtual console which is their program to say hey we've got a huge classic archive we've got new consoles just buy our old games again and they'll work just as you remember them <laughs> multiple times multiple over times. on every new piece of hardware there'll be no synchronicity between them let's wrap there is that really the best argument for emulation that it serves as a tool for archiving and preserving basically a medium that degrades pretty pretty rapidly if you look at especially the old stuff yeah i mean to me that is that is the reason to always believe and support the idea of emulation even if there's legal gray in terms like the roms and the games you use like the emulation itself is an important cause you know i think chris if you own a blu-ray player it can play dvds like decades old discs will play maybe not the best fidelity anymore, but they're compatible with every other disc slot known to man at this point. And with game consoles, that's rarely, if ever, uh, the case. If there is a game that existed in the Nintendo era, there are very few ways to do that, to play it legally without a Nintendo. A lot of hardware that was never meant to survive this long. Uh, You can hope that the developers and publishers of that game remake it, either preserving it or tweaking it or updating however you want to think about it but by and large there are so many pieces of art or pieces of games however you want to consider it that have just fallen the wayside not because they were bad but because technology moved on and there was no way to kind of play it anymore you actually lost the conduit by which you could enjoy this experience and you know having faith that these old companies that may or may not exist anymore transfer them over is is tough 
Um, I think we're kind of getting to the point where some of these consoles are starting to look more like PCs, so maybe they are starting to become more future-proof and ubiquitous. That, again, though, is kind of largely tied to a platform. Imagine if I, like, iOS went away. It's not. Imagine if it did. All those games are kind of just gone. Um, until someone creates this bit of software, be it official or otherwise, that lets you kind of preserve these experiences so you can go back and say, play classic unicycle racing game uniracers. Yeah, I mean, and that's already happened. Like, I have a handful of iOS games that don't work on my iPhone now that were the original iOS games, and they're gone. And it's like, it's easy to think of iPhones as these, like, seamless objects that work, like you said, through rated DVD player. But we're already getting to a point where there are apps <laughs> from the past that don't work, which is crazy uh, and, and terrible for ar- archival purposes. Because talk about something that will be really tough. Like, how do you get an old game? Do you rip it out of your iPhone if you still have the copy of it? And then do you build an emulator for an old version of iOS? Like, it's a headache. Anyway, then, yes. I, I, that was not the happy note. The happy but- note is... Many games are are able to be preserved via this process. Yes, and it's still a fun hobby that everyone does. Like there is literally, I don't think there's a single platform out there that can't play the shooter Doom because of this emulation culture. Like if you have an Apple Watch, you can play Doom now. Maybe not, you know, without jailbreaking it. But there's an enthusiastic audience that says, you know, we value games. We value the idea. We we enjoy the challenge of trying to take this old hardware and figure out how to make it software. And in so doing you know, inadvertently is creating a way by which we can preserve these classic moments, whether or not you choose to do that in a legal manner or otherwise is up to you. But I'm, you know, I think it's an important endeavor that we'll continue to see going forward. And there's other weird byproducts and like side effects of these things. Like you got an emulator that plays a classic game, you understand the code. Great. How can we mess with that? How can you actually like now today develop a game for Super Nintendo just for fun? Like these these weird challenges and it's like this industry itself, since emulation itself is legal, it's, you know, managed to blossom in this kind of legal gray area. And I'm rambling (laughs) and all I can do is think about Smash Bros. and virtual reality again. And I'm sorry, I got to go find that headset and play now. I think that's a great mental image to end on. You literally sprinting out of the recording booth, knocking over Andrew, his face bloodied. You don't even turn around to see or apologize because you have one thing on your mind, VR video game emulation. Yes. <laughs> um, Ross, thank you for being here today. Plant, thank you as always. A thank you to our newly bloodied uh, producer, Andrew Marino. And a thank you to you for listening. As always, you can go to iTunes and leave a review. It helps us so much. I know you're thinking like, ah, I've been meaning to get around to that. Today is the day that you do it. You open up iTunes, you leave a review, even if you don't use it, and you get a big thank you from me. And then after that, you can go do uh, this. You can go to Spotify, and you can check out our show there. Just search for What's Tech in the the bar. You can find us on TheVerge.com. You can find us on Twitter at What's Tech. Or you can find us every Tuesday right here. Just subscribe. Until next time, we'll see you later. Bye.